Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and shortcomings and transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time with my brother and sisters, Lord, that you've given us yet another day to partake in your word that we might learn and be taught by your spirit, that we may teach others. Yes, Lord. Lord, we just pray for more discipleship within the ministry. We just pray for more evangelizing, Lord, and things that you want for us, because unless we open our mouths and speak, unless we are willing to go forward and do what you say, Lord, then it's just an, a moot point, Lord. It's not something that can just be thought up. It has to be a part of our lives. Yes, Lord. So I just pray, Lord, that your spirit be here, that no man's heart be heard, that no flesh be glorified, Lord, yes, for we place no confidence in the flesh, only by your spirit. And as we talk about, Lord, your eyes, we just pray that we begin to see like you, that we begin to think like you, that we begin to judge matters according to the way that you do so that we stay in good standing with you. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error and contention and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every suicide spirit, Lord, every homosexual spirit, every spirit that goes against you, I pray in Jesus' name at this very moment that it be bound and it be cast out. So, Lord God, we just pray that you speak. We pray that you send your son, that his words might be heard. And we also ask, Lord, for that comforting spirit of the Holy Ghost that convicts us of sin, but also sets us on the right path as he works with us, Lord, and conforms us to your image. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask, Lord, for great boldness and wisdom like you, Lord, for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so tonight what we're going to talk about is the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord. And what we do, um, there was a word search. I I don't know why, like at times I'll go through my Bible and the Lord will just give me words. And then I'll find out how many of those words actually are in the Bible or what the significance is. Like he just had me focused on the eyes of the Lord. I was reading a passage. I don't even remember which one. And I'm like, man, how many Bible verses have the eyes of the Lord in them? And, and what do they what do they cling to? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to find out tonight, which is really interesting. There's about seven ways the eyes of the Lord work. And, and that's going to be real significant in what we're talking about. Because I recognize, you know, even early in my life when I would choose matters, you know, in situations, my eyes were so different from his that I think when he gave me things, I would always look at them like, you know, not too important or... Well, I don't know. That doesn't sound like God, but it was because my heart wasn't right. You know, the way that I saw things was so contrary to the way that he sees them. And I'm just praying for more insight. I'm praying for more understanding. That way I can truly judge a matter like he judges it. Because people have all these things now, these bracelets and and chains. And what would Jesus do? I want to see what Jesus sees. I want to feel what Jesus feels. Why? Because it'll give me a fresh perspective in understanding him. 
But there are so many times like the Lord is pointing things out in my <laughs> life saying this is for you. And I'm like, nah, it can't be. You know, like this, this is a big mistake because I'm looking at it through carnal eyes. And, you know, the Lord is trying to get me to see it through spiritual eyes. So we're just going to look at a few things tonight about how God sees things, how we see them, and things that we can learn from. And we're going to see many different ways that this works out. So let's get started. I want to go to Psalm 34. Let's begin with the Psalm. Psalm chapter 34. If you split the Bible in half equally, you'll end up in Psalms, Job, or Proverbs. So this is Psalm 34. Let's look at verse 1. This is the Psalm of David. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my life. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Other humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So David had this thing constantly for praising God. And what I'm recognizing is, unless you have a heart for God or you see God the way that God should be seen, with a fresh perspective and new eyes, you can't praise the Lord. I've tried it. I've even said to myself, man, Lord, I just want to give you praise. But at that time, I didn't even see the Lord for who he was. So therefore, I became embarrassed of him. I didn't want to talk to people about him. I didn't really want to praise him. I, I just felt like, well, God knows how I feel in my heart. So there's no reason to praise or do whatever. But when your eyes become like his and you begin to recognize who he is, when you see God for who he is. Now, we can never really fully see all of his manifestation, but just the parts that he shows you, how he's worked in your life, how he's worthy. You know, when you get to that place of understanding that he took your place for you on the cross, you know, and, and he was, you know, I mean, mutilated, you can pretty much say, man, you got to you got to tip your hat to the Lord and recognize that he is good and look at areas in your life. So he says the Lord delivered him from all his fears. They looked up, they looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Man, that sounds like a person I know. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. So this is something that we really want concerning God, because the Bible says there's an angel, which, you know, is the Holy Ghost. And I do believe we have personal angels, but they encamp around those that fear God. In other words, if you fear God, then you're going to walk the straight and narrow. You're going to seek his counsel. You're going to want what he wants. And in doing so, God will stand by you and give you a protector. Okay, so for everything that we stand against concerning God, the angel of the Lord will encamp around them because, okay, this person is obedient. So therefore, the hierarchy from heaven is going to support this individual's life in many different areas. So you don't have to fight your battles. The Holy Ghost will be present, you know, with support. So this is something that you want. When you fear God, his angels are around you because 
they know you're not going to go astray. And if anybody overrides that, they've got the Lord to deal with. Verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is uh, no want to them uh, that fear him. So you see, a person that fears the Lord is not even going to lack. So a person that fears the Lord will have an angel, you know, that, that encamps about him. And it says, taste the Lord and see that he is good. Then it says the fear of the Lord, those people will not want. When you don't want, you don't lack. Okay, God will supply you. Why? Because you're walking the straight and narrow with him. You're not seeking, seeking crooked means or ways to try and work outside of him. So when we're obedient, God will hold nothing back from his. This is verse 10. Huh? Oh. So this is verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. So when it says want, it doesn't mean you don't want it. You don't lack. You don't lack good things. Verse 11. Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many things that he may see good, you know? So when he's talking about here, learning one, the fear of the Lord. And then it says, what man is he that desireth life and loveth many things that he, huh? Oh, did I say life, desireth life? What did I say? Oh, sorry. And loveth many days that he may see good. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Uh, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So back to verse 12, when it talks about or 11, being taught the fear of the Lord, God will do this if you truly want him to. Because I know a lot of the times he just doesn't seem that important. But if you say, God, give me more fear of you and understanding, the Lord will even lead you to scriptures that will actually prick on your heart and let you see, man, God is good. He'll let you have a few near misses in your life. He'll even send you dreams and visions if that's what it takes that you can have the fear of the Lord and stay with him. So the fear of the Lord is a healthy thing in our life. It's not a bad thing. That's why he says in verse 14, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are upon un his ears are open, sorry, unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off um, the remembrance of them from the earth. So as you can see, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And you see how it says in verse 16, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So you see, when you're not doing right, it's not that God is mean and he doesn't want you to have, but God, if he's holy, he can't be associated with that which is unholy. I know we would like to make God like us, and we want God to go along with, Lord, shh, don't tell anybody what I just did, because, you know, everything will be fine. But you see, he's not like that. He's like, you got a choice. You can either curve it, or I'll pull the sheets off of it, you know, or repent of it and do what's right. But God cannot be associated with that which is unholy. And I remember many times in my life being disobedient to the Lord and not obeying, I remember days where I wanted forgiveness and got down on my knees to pray. And I know God forgave me, but you don't feel his presence. You know, it feels cold. I mean, I don't. I suggest nobody does this, but you're going to have your moments where you really want the Lord to forgive you. 
And there are times, you know, the Lord will be right there to comfort you. But then there's other times it feels void. It feels distant. Like you're talking to nobody, like a statue, you know. But when we don't do right, God can't be associated with that. Of course, he gives us love and grace, but we've got to learn to walk the straight and narrow with him. So he says, um, look at verse uh, 17, uh, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such to be of a contrite spirit. So what God wants is for you to want him. God doesn't like proud. God doesn't like boastful. God doesn't like overly confident people. The way that you can get to God's heart is to cry out, you know, to be made right, but also having a broken heart and contrite spirit. So examples of this, a broken heart is somebody like we talked about before. Even though you might be a member of a church for many years, you know, and you might see people go down for an altar call, it might be even good. Like if your heart's broken, you'll say, you know what, I ain't exactly done right either. You know, I know that there might be sin in my life. So let me just go down there before the Lord and pray, God, you know, make my sins known to me. God, I'm not like you. And that's what it means to truly have the eyes of the Lord, because when you see yourself for what you are, God will make that known to you. And I mean, it ain't pretty, man. Even the smallest things that you don't even consider sin, the closer you draw to the Lord, oh, he'll show them to you. Because it should bother us that we're not like Jesus. I mean, we might have some things, okay, I don't lie anymore, I don't steal, I don't do this and this and this, but you ain't preaching the gospel either. You know, how's your prayer life? Who are you, I mean, are you ashamed of the Lord is why you're not telling people about him? So there's things like this that we should have a broken and contrite heart. Lord, make me more like you. That's somebody that's real, you know, because in comparison to God, you recognize you don't have it if you don't spend time with him. So you should ever have this feeling of longing to be more like Christ and not like ourselves. But if we're comfortable in our lives, but we just like to have Jesus around, man, that's a tragedy in some ways because we should desire to be more like him. So that's a broken and contrite heart. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. So you see, righteous have many afflictions because they're always standing for the truth. Verse 20, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Um, evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord uh, redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. So you see, if we learn to trust God, if we learn to walk with God and do what he says, God will do what is necessary for his people. But we just got to believe him in every part of our lives. See, he's a redeeming God. That word for redemption, it's an amazing word because like I said, it's one thing to make something new and then just put it up somewhere and admire it. It's another thing to make something perfect, have it fall apart on you but have a desire in your heart. I'm going to make it even better than it was. I'm going to restore it to wholeness. That's a whole different kind of heart. Because most men, I ain't marrying no whore. I ain't marrying this person or that person. I got to have the perfect individual. But see, when God made you, you were a whore. You see what I'm saying? But he still had that mindset of the eyes of the Lord said, no, this is a bride. 
All he needs to know is me and have my life and be made right. So you see, God's eyes are different. It's amazing how many men will lay down with a whore, but they won't marry one. That's what's just so funny that they would do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, God will not be intimate with you unless he decides, I mean, unless he wants to lift you up. And when I mean intimate, I don't mean sexual. You know, I mean having a relationship with Christ. Right. So, you know, that's an example of how God's eyes are in relation to ours. Let's go to Deuteronomy 11 and let's look at verse 1. I'm telling you, sometimes my carnal eyes get in the way so much of what God wants me to have. The Lord is like, man, this is a treasure, and I'm looking at it like, yeah, but it's got this and that all over it, and look at this. And then, you know, you know, he's got to get us to that place where we truly believe him. It is a good reminder, though, as to how he looks at us, and that's why... You said before many times to make sure that the ministry is transparent because we can't be afraid to like tell our our, our, our past, our faults no. before people in order that they be saved. And you got a lot of hypocrites today that they got saved and they were just perfect. I'm like, no, you had a past. You, you got a present and a future too. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a no. No perfect well, people. Well, knowing that whore you think of, there's a reason they're that way. Mm -hmm. You know, as I've seen people that are that way but have a heart of a gold and they just need to be. That's it. He's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You find more people outside of the church more honest about their lives and the way that they live than a lot of people that go to church. And see, what's, what's sad about that is a, a lot of church people will become holier than thou. Mm -hmm. I'm better than this because I'm going here. Mm -hmm. But this person can honestly say, you know, hey, I'm not ready to serve yet or whatever. But... But they could be some of the most honest people. You know, all they need, like he said, is the word of God. They need transformation. I mean, but they, some of their perspectives are so much better than people that you find in churches. It's unbelievable. Because I've seen even in churches where people begin to gossip about other people, you'll find an unbeliever saying, well, that's not very Christian. You know, but it's like they can see it. You know what I'm saying? But other people are like just... You know, so well, it's like it's said true. before, you'll give like ten dollars to a homeless person. They'll go buy a pizza, one pizza, and they'll call all their friends over and have yep. a pizza for the night. Yep. And you ain't got some church people that would give a morsel of bread. I, I, you see more <laughs> honor and integrity from that homeless person. Than Absolutely. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. No, it's so I've true. Seen it. I've yeah. seen it too because I remember when I got that guy that pizza. I thought. And he's going to be happy to have a whole bunch to eat. That didn't matter to him. He called his buddies over, and each one of them had one slice. But that's love. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? That's well, love. It's also when, I think everybody should have to go through stuff like that. I agree. I think Lord put that, Lord did that to me, put me into that position. Me too. Because you mm -hmm. learn, and you learn what it's like to be there. Mm -hmm. So you respect that person. That's why that guy gets that pizza and shares it. Mm -hmm. Because he sees it. Mm -hmm. He sees, okay, that person ain't going to suffer. I got something. And they think, it teaches you to think of the fellow person. Absolutely. Yeah. And you see, that's the eyes of the Lord. Because I couldn't see Jesus buying a pizza for everybody and he's got five slices and or he'll sneak someone off in the corner. Hey, there's more for us. That's not the Lord we serve. You see what I'm saying? So this person has in many ways the eyes of the Lord. Hey guys, we're all in this mess together. And Daryl is right. When you're down on your luck, 
and you're sitting outside of society and you recognize how wicked this world is and what the struggle truly is about, you care more for people than you do thinking, man, you're sitting up on your high horse, I got this, I got that. That person is so distanced from God, it's not even funny. Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus was born in a manger. He grew up in the ghetto in Bethlehem. Why? Because if he, come as, if he came as a prince, how can he understand what man needs? You see what I'm saying? He placed himself as a servant to give understanding. That's why it's not enough service going on in the world. Great points. This is Deuteronomy 11. Let's look at verse 1. He says, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his commandments and his judgments and his, oh, did I say commandments? Charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments. Always, like in always. And know ye this day, for I speak not with your children, which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his stretched out arm. So they've seen God judge. They've seen God wipe away the enemy. And they've seen God as great because he redeems, he saves, and he provides. Okay, verse 3. And his miracles and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and unto all his land. And what he did unto the army of Egypt, unto their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord had destroyed them unto this day. And what we ought to recognize too here, this doesn't just happen to Israel out of Egypt. This happened to you and I as well when we got saved. See, these are things people don't recognize. Now, we might read the story and hear about Pharaoh's chariots being thrown in and all these things happening. But see, you don't know how many people God had to slay or how many things he had to destroy and take out of your life just to save you and I. So as he's, as he's, Moses is speaking here about what God did, we better recognize too that God does the same thing for us in some ways even greater because we can't even see the miracles that God does for us daily. Every day the devil is set out to kill you. Work out something that he can do to you. And you don't know the, the battles that go on behind the scenes where God is saving your life. Somebody could have laced your you know, coffee with lice because they just wanted to see you get sick and die. But God moved it out of the way and you're sitting there drinking it, not even recognizing God just took something away from you. You don't know how many witches there are out there praying witchcraft on people, hoping that you die. Took a little strand of your head that you didn't even see. But God didn't let it happen. So we got to recognize God is good and he's always around, you know, always doing what he has to do. So I think I'm at verse four. Verse five. All right. Thanks. And what he did unto you in the wilderness until ye came into this place. And what he did unto Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Iliad, uh, the son of Reuben, uh, the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up and their households and their tents and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord, which he did. Therefore, ye shall keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong and go in to possess the land where do ye go to possess it? So as you can see, he's making it clear to them that your eyes have seen these things. So when you see God's goodness, 
like we talked about in Psalm 34, it should give you a different perspective concerning him. Lord, I want to obey you, not because I fear you just, but I like you. I like what you're doing in my life. I like the changes that you're making. That's a big difference than somebody on you with a whip, making you do whatever. Just the fact that you see that God is good. No one understands this better than dogs. I would hate to say it, but it's so true. A dog has a loyal heart to his master. There was a story I just heard um, a couple of days ago. A man is abusing his dog, beating his dog badly. And um, there was a guy walking by that saw it. The neighbors were calling the police because he's just kicking this dog and beating him. And, um, you know, one, the guy who walked by saw it. He said, you know, I can't take anymore. He jumped over the fence and he started beating up that man. Don't you know that dog came and bit him in the leg? And he turned around and was like, you know, but he understood the dog was just protecting his master. But you see, a dog is not confused on what side he's on. A dog is faithful, no matter what happens. Now, I'm not suggesting that the dog should have been, you know, um, biting the guy or whatever, but it's that sick kind of loyalty, that love that a dog has for a person. In many ways, that's how God is with you and I. He really does see the wrong in you, but he's not going to let a lot of things happen to you because he wants to save you. But a dog's heart is loyal, man. You can get mad at your dog one minute, he runs off, and then you come back, you tap him, and he'll come right over and forget about what just happened. He lives in the moment. He's just thinking, all right, my master's mad. And there's another thing I learned about dogs. When they're in trouble, they look at what did I do? Did I do something wrong? You can almost see it in a dog. Like, I know I did something to cause this. So the dog is never mad at you. Like, when you try and come to him later, he shows you his teeth. Like, he's upset with you. He's not upset. He wants that welcoming. So that tells you he knows it's his fault. But a cat will do things on purpose. You know, they'll just knock stuff over, knowing that it's yours, pee on your bed or do whatever. Cats will do this stuff because they spite you. But I'm just saying, a dog is so loyal. And when things happen to us, we need to take that inward look. Did I do something to cause this, Lord? What did I do? But we need to see it from, you know, God's perspective. Mm -hmm. So he says, you guys have seen the goodness of God. And a dog, most times, you don't treat right. I mean, you put a leash on him. You take him out to play. But I mean, you know, to, to the dog, that's heaven. Just the fact that he's got food at night, that dog is loyal. But outside of that, what do you really do for the dog other than feed him and give him a place to live? And he's happy. You know? <laughs> Verse um, 9, I believe I am. And it says that he may, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers and give unto them and to their seed a land that floweth with milk and honey. For the land whither thou goest unto possess it is not as the land of Egypt. So as you can see, God's kingdom and Egypt or the world, they're two separate places from whence he came out, uh, where thou sowedst thy seed and waterest it uh, with thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. So as you can see, it's got its ups and downs, but... It's, a, it's an abundant land, you know, that will reap the water, which is what? The Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Verse 12, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. 
And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So I want to make these two scriptures make sense. It says that the eyes of the Lord are upon that land. One thing we got to understand about God, God wants us to have the Holy Ghost, okay? He wants us to be baptized in the Spirit at some point. He also, if you notice, Jesus always referred to eternal life more than anything else. All Jesus ever talked about was his spirit, your inheritance, where you should be, what you should have, and that's it. But he never put anything in, in Egypt, which is the world. He never put anything into the wilderness, which is your soul, which is you. He, he put it into things that we can have in the future, things that will be productive, things that won't slow the process of you inheriting what God wants you to have. Okay, so that's the whole point about his eyes being on this land. You notice he never stopped until they made it to the promised land. God's goal was that they would inherit the land. So the promised land is a type of Holy Ghost, and it's a type of eternal life. So God only wants us to get to that place of the Spirit, and he can't settle for second best. He can't settle for someone halfway in the world and halfway out. He can't settle for you being so into yourself you can't hear him. He wants your mind clear. And the only purpose that God puts us what he puts us through is because he wants us to be saved. He wants us to inherit salvation. So you see, the eyes of the Lord are upon that. God cares little about this earth. I'm being honest with you because he's going to bring a new one anyway. So what difference does it make? Verse 14, that I will give you the rain of the land, of your land, in his due season, the first and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. So this is the Holy Ghost, okay? There's a former rain and a latter rain in Israel. This is what we go through as growth. When, when the former rain comes, it's for the growing of the crops. Okay, when the latter rain comes, it's for the maturing of the crops just before the harvest. So when Jesus comes back, his coming back will be just before the harvest, around the time he's ready to come and pick who's going to be with him and who's not. So we've got to go through the process of the former rain and the latter rain. Many of us were baptized in water. That's the former rain, okay, because you, you begin to have a relationship with the Lord. The latter rain is Jesus comes and breathes on you baptizing you in the spirit to give you a powered salvation to walk with him. So as you can see, the eyes of the Lord, this is, this is his main primary concern. Verse 15, and I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. This is a big problem, too, for Christians, you know, even for those who've been baptized in the spirit that love the Lord. He's saying, don't let your heart be deceived unto other gods. It's easy to make that mistake. We can start out believing God, getting the spirit, following him, and then we can find ourselves going sideways, caring about worldly junk that doesn't mean anything after you get it. You know, so he said, don't do it. Verse 17, and then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you and he shut up the heaven and there be no rain and that the land uh, yield not her fruit and lest ye perish quickly from off the good land, which the Lord giveth you. So let's break this scripture down. It says God's wrath would be kindled against one, an idolater, 
what would be the second stage? He would shut up the heaven that there be no rain. So a lot of people are going out today seeking the Holy Ghost and can't have it. Why? Because they're idolaters. Okay, so God's wrath is against certain people, you know, because he wants you to have that. So, okay, no Holy Ghost. Now look at this. And that the land yield not her fruit. So let's understand that. Why a lot of Christians can even be baptized in the Spirit, speak in tongues, know the Lord, but can't win one soul to Jesus. You know why? Because of the fact that there is no rain. You see how you can be stopped up? Just because you have it means you got to keep it. you got to stay in covenant with God. You can't go off serving other gods. You know, so then it says, uh, And lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. So we want to keep our inheritance. Therefore shall ye lay up uh, these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may uh, be uh, as frontlets between your eyes. So let's understand this. He's saying, all right, write it in your heart and your soul, meaning make it a part of your nature. Okay, God changes the heart. What is your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So God has to control those. Then he says, bind them up for a sign um, upon your hand. That means your works. Okay, so if I feel it in my heart, and my mind, will, and my emotions are following the Lord, then my works are going to show evidence of what God wants. So he's saying, bind it to your hand. You can't be talking this and doing that, and all of a sudden, there's no works. You see what I'm saying? So you've got to learn to yield to what God wants. And he says, make it a frontlet between your eyes. Man, see it the way God sees it. Mm -hmm. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them, when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So what does he mean? Make it a part of your life. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Mm -hmm. So that's a beautiful thing that not only you, your kids, your kids' kids, if you keep people in the faith where they should be, they can pass that on. And that's a promise from God if we learn to see it the way he sees it and yield to him. Because all God cares about is eternal life. God don't care about anything else. You can bring any excuse you want like about what someone did to you. And you know what the Lord will tell you? Forgive him so you can have eternal life with me. Make your heart right. And you be, well, Lord, he shot me. And all that. Yeah, well, forgive him. You know, because we're looking at the big picture, not the little one. But see, in our minds, a, good, a real God would be, all right, here's what you do. I'm going to distract him. You go and get your gun and pay him back for what he's done. But that wouldn't, that wouldn't qualify for eternal life. So you want, see, God's always looking at what's going to make it better so we can move on. Man, what a God. Amen. What a God. If anyone has anything to add, they can. If not, let's go to 1 Samuel 16. One thing I learned a lot about forgiveness was is that um, it actually it takes a huge burden. It takes a lot more burdens off of you than what you think. It does. Not only does it break down a heart of stone in your life, 
But then you also realize how many times God forgives us for the things that we do in disobedience. And, you know, he could say, I could have taken your life this very night and judged you in your sin, but I didn't do it. You know, and when you forgive, you you do feel a whole lot better. Because there were times, go ahead, brother. I think it's a hard thing, though. It is. I, th- I think, I think uh, that's something I'm going through and learning. Mm-hmm. Because I'm very, I, I grew up very vengeful. I'll be honest. I'm Me vengeful. too. And, and, <laughs> and so that's hard to let go. Mm-hmm. But I'm learning to let go. Mm-hmm. I'm learning not to be that way. And, you know, the forgiveness and stuff. I'm learning that, but it, I think that's something that's really hard. <laughs> It can be hard, but the more you forgive, you're right. It breaks down a lot of things in your life. I remember the time that someone would do something to me, and it was a friend, you know, and I'm mad at them. I'm not saying anything to them. They're not saying anything to me. And the Lord, you know, the devil would be trying to tell you, don't forgive him, man. After all he's done, you know, and everything, and you walk past each other mad, not saying anything. But then it's like if that person comes to you and says, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't know all this was going on. There's a part of your heart that just floods open where you just, no, nah, man, it's all right. See, I wasn't really mad. It was whatever. <laughs> but see, if you can let go of that pride, God will flood your heart with that forgiveness, you know? But it's just all about just letting it go. And when you let it go, it doesn't have any control in your life anymore. But you're right. Unless we see it the way God sees it, it's, this is hard. Because you can say this and then still get mad at someone later and not want to talk to them. Exactly. The part that's really hard now for me is the big crimes. Mm-hmm. Like like raping your daughter or, mm-hmm. or, or murdering your best friend or something. Mm-hmm. That's the part I'm still not seeing. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the stuff, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm to the point now, I can be mad as crap at somebody, but if they come and need to help, I'm going to help. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting to that point, but mm-hmm. I'm not to that point. Yet. Oh, it all takes time. I mean, look at how God wants us to forgive and love, even when we're preaching the gospel and somebody's kicking our faces in. You know, that takes real, you know, commitment. When you're down and the person is, I mean, putting their size 14s in your jaw and you're saying, Lord, forgive them. Because, you know, I think the closer we get to the Lord, and this is what it means too by seeing it through his eyes, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So that person is a captive too. But if I respond the way that that person does, then it's hard. But you're right. I don't have a heart for that sort of thing either. When you hear about things happening to kids, I remember Sarah one day told me about what Michael Jackson's dad did to him. Man, when Sarah told me that story, I remember we were in the car. And I mean, I was just ready to lay. I was like, so you mean to say the father did that? And then Sarah was like, yeah, when they molested Michael. You know, um, his father would buy him a hamburger or whatever. Man, Sarah could tell you, I was looking at her like, (laughs) so you mean to say he just got away with that? Man, I was ready to, you know, I was so angry by that. But you know what? That was another soul that is, you know, trapped by demons Mm -hmm. that needs deliverance. Man, it's amazing how God can really open us up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't like to hear that stuff either. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, Lord, do something because I'm... I'm, Because if you don't, I will. <laughs> but yeah. All right. This is 1 Samuel 16. Let's look at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. And I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Um, 
Oh, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So Samuel is a prophet. Saul was the, the king that in the last chapter didn't obey God. So God stripped him of his anointing. And, you know, the Lord is saying, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Go forward and do what I'm saying. So as you can see, God doesn't believe in wasting time. That's another different thing between his eyes and mine. When God wants to move forward with a situation, we'll still try and drag something that's not coming to go. And God is like, look, forget that. Go over here and do what I'm telling you to do. Here's another person that can meet the situation and do. So he's telling uh, Samuel this, like, hey, man, go on. I'm done with Saul. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord and call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will shew thee what thou shalt do and thou shalt anoint unto me uh, him whom, uh, whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did uh, that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? So you see, when people talk about their prophets of the Lord and they bring all this stuff about love, joy, peace, and all this other mess, you know, which, I mean, I believe it is done in love, but those prophets back then were no joke. When they said something they heard from God and everybody in town was afraid of them. Why? Because they usually come with correction. You know, hey, there's going to be judgment if you guys don't straighten up. So when he came into town, the people were terrified, like, oh, that's Samuel. I'm wondering what the Lord is going to say. But when you got these so-called prophets talking about, I see prosperity over you, brother. Man, go somewhere. These are the real prophets of God. <laughs> Verse 5, and he said peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice, and he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord anointed uh, is before him. Now, I want you guys to look at something interesting too here because I knew I had it, but I'm going to have to um, put it up again. But this is the meaning of uh, Eliab, the name Eliab. That's a good point here. So 1 Samuel 16, bear with me one sec, I believe that's verse 6. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Eliab was the eldest son of Jesse. And um, they're saying, well, surely the Lord will anoint Eliab because look at him, you know. So the name Eliab here means uh, my God is father uh, or God is father. That's his name. Okay, so let's just keep that in mind for the moment. So then it says... Um, in verse 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh at the heart. So Eliab probably was tall, strong, everything, you know, good looking, and that didn't mean anything to God. Okay, so let's look at the next one. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. So the Lord took Abinadab down. And let's look at uh, what Abinadab means. Abinadab means, uh, My father is noble, or my father is willing. So, you know, they both had these names. I'm going to go to the last one. Um, this is nine. 
Uh, then Jesse said, Shema, to pass by. And he said, neither have the Lord chosen this. Okay, so, I mean, he said this. He didn't even say him. It was like, I don't even want this in the midst. All right, let's look at um, Shema. Shema means astonishment. Now, what's interesting about these names is, you know what, let me, no, let me make the point. Eventually, it gets down to David, as you know. The word David means beloved. Okay, so you see, you can know that God is Father. You can know that my God is willing and he's strong. But you see, you only accept it when you become the beloved. When you're astonished, that's one thing. But when you're accepted in the beloved, you become God's. So remember he said, I don't judge from looking at the people. I judge what's in the heart. Okay, now if you go to 1 Samuel 17, read it in your spare time. That was the story of David and Goliath. Now remember, these three sons were standing on the sidelines, afraid of Goliath not doing anything. David was somebody that was, you know, keeper of the sheep, and he was praising the Lord all day and in the presence of God. So when the Philistine Goliath had um, insulted David, I mean, or insulted God, you see how quick David jumped up and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a soldier. But David loved the Lord. And you see, that's why God chose David over these three. These men were soldiers. They looked good. They looked right. But see, what's really in the heart? And you can even say that about, you know, church people. We might look good. We may say all the right things. Oh, I'm astonished at how powerful God is. Oh, God is Father. Oh, Jesus Christ is Lord. But when it comes down to it, how many will get on the front lines and represent Jesus? Only his beloved. Why? Because what happens to him happens to me. That's how we got to see this thing. But see, God knows who really loves him. God's no fool. You know, God knows who really believes and who doesn't. Yep. So it says in 10, again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here are all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we, have, for we will not sit down till he come hither. So he wanted the right guy. Verse 12. So as you can see, David was kind of like an outcast too. His brothers were all praised. They were all looked at as, you know, man, these are my sons. But it was almost like he was embarrassed about David or something. Like, well, yeah, you won't want him. You know, I mean, look at him. He's a shepherd boy. Don't worry about him. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy, meaning like kind of rugged or good looking. And um, with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day. Of forward, so Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So as you can see, David was anointed, and God chose the youngest. Who would think God would do that? Why are you picking him when we got people all ready for war? Because our God sees the beginning from the end. God looked at the heart. He said, "That might be a shepherd boy, but you see, to be a shepherd boy, you got to be a protector. You got to love the sheep. That takes responsibility in looking after the flock." 
So you see, those are the kind of people God wants. And it wasn't just David. Moses was a shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. But God always seems to look for that shepherd-like individual. Just like the guy, when he got the pizza, the first thing he thought about was feeding the flock. You see, that's what's in God's, God's heart. This is the kind of people he wants. So the big and strong and mighty, God's like, man, move from me. I don't want them. You know what I mean? But verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. For, for our Lord now command uh, thy servants, which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. Okay, so they want a cunning player. That means, you know, someone that is good with the gospel in our terms today. Verse 17, And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, uh, that is that is cunning and playing, because he played his harp, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. So, okay, he plays well, all right, meaning his life can be really looked at as, you know, good before the Lord. And it says he's a mighty valiant man. He's not afraid. He's a man of war. He's willing to take the fight to the enemy. Okay, and a prudent man in matters, like he's fair and a comely person. So he's welcome. If you look at the office of a bishop in First um, um, Timothy chapter 3, matter of fact, hold where you are. Let's look at First Timothy chapter 3. Look at how well this parallels, except that David is not a husband of one wife. Tell you that Old Testament and the New, they come together. Mm -hmm. First, Timothy. First Timothy chapter three. And let's look at the office. Look at a bishop. David was a shepherd boy. Let's look at the bishop. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, like a shepherd or a pastor, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. And what does the Bible say? David was prudent. A husband and one wife, he was too young, of course, uh, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine nor striker, not greedy or filthy lucre. Now, you know, he was a shepherd boy, so he couldn't have been. Mm -hmm. Then it says, but patient, that's what a shepherd is, not a brawler, not covetous, okay, one that ruleth well his own house having his children in subjection with all gravity. Now, mind you, David didn't have kids, but David was a shepherd. Yeah. So he ruled the sheep well. So as you can see, the office of a bishop and what they're looking for, so it says, for if a man uh, know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? Not a novice. So David's been proven, lest he be lifted up with pride and he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So as you can see, David was very much, we can go back to 1 Samuel 16. Let's just go back there right now. But as you can see, what David was and what the office of a bishop were, 
just about the same thing. And then we're going to move on. Samuel 16 and I believe we stopped at verse 19. verse 19 so it says wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said send me David thy son which is with the sheep and Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine so he took Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost and a kid which was like a sacrifice and sent them by David uh, his son unto Saul and David came uh, to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer so you see David loved Saul you know like like we would we should love our king and Saul sent to Jesse saying let David I pray thee stand before me for he that uh, found favor in my sight and it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hand and Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. So as you can see, God will pick anything. And that's why the type of music we listen to can affect us too, you know, and what we surround ourselves with. But as you can see, God anointed someone that no one would expect because God looked at the heart and not at everything else. I remember even back when, you know, younger dating, looking for girlfriends. Nah, she's got to be like this. She's got to be like that. And that girl takes you through two years of hell, you know, being with that person. Why? Because she had to be this and that. But we didn't look at the black evil heart on the inside. Man, we could have saved ourselves a lot of grief if we would have seen things the way God sees her. I mean, that would change everything. All right, so let's move on. So let's go to uh, let's go to Proverbs five. Let's hit that um, Proverbs five, and let's look at verse twenty-one. Proverbs 5, let's look at verse 21, and it says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. So he sees it, and he pondereth all his doings. All right, his own iniquities shall take the wicked uh, himself, or shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be um, holden with the cords of his sins. So you see, we don't want to fool around in this way. Verse 23, he shall die without instruction, and in greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. So you see, God pays attention to everything we do, but what would a wicked person do? They would probably know this and still not care. Yeah. That's why we talked about the fear of the Lord, seeing God for who he truly is. Not just, man, someone that could crush you like a cockroach, but he could also, you know, he loves you. You see what I'm saying? He's trying to give you a chance to join the winning team. So who wouldn't want to serve someone like that? But it's all about perspective and seeing it with his eyes. Let's go to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, let's look at verse 1. All right. Proverbs 15 and 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, 
but grievous words stir up anger. That's what we talked about a little earlier. The tongue of a wise of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are a very are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in spirit. So again, as we talked about before, we even got to watch the things that come out of our mouths. I know we may feel like it's just, you know, joking about foolishness or joking about um, dirty jokes and things like that. You might not have meant nothing by it, but God pays attention to all of this stuff because every word that we speak will be judged of God. So we got to recognize, man, he's really looking at us and our conduct and everything that we do. Because he's kind of got my eyes looking at that. Let's go to Proverbs 22. And then we'll jump right off of this. You got to love Proverbs, though, because Proverbs is like, it's one of those books. It's, it's everything that you're going through. Or wisdom. Not, it's in Proverbs. That's right. It is a book of wisdom, yeah. That's right. His wisdom. Proverbs 22, let's look at verse 11. And it says, He that loveth pureness of heart. Uh, for the grace of his lips, the king shall uh, be his friend. So you see that pure heart. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. So, man, you want to be in good favor with God to the point where you can hold God to his promises. You can say, Lord, I'm doing what you ask. You know, can you help me? And why wouldn't? But, you know, if you're somebody that's a transgressor, that means you know the way. But we still go our own way anyway. And when you look at that, man, it says God turns away from that. He doesn't even want to hear you. But, man, when you're righteous, I realized when the Lord started working out and cleaning up my life better, man, he's been giving me things that I don't even ask for. It's almost like he knows. I can have, like, 20 bucks for the week. And I'm like, man, I need to save this. So I go and buy something, and it's almost like the 20 just keeps coming back. You know, or you, y'all might think I'm crazy for this, but there's times in my wallet, I knew well, by looking at it, I've got six, um, well, you know, 40 bucks because I just spent 20 for whatever. I look back at my wallet, there's like $80 in there. And I'm like, I couldn't have counted that close where the bills were stuck together. But it's almost like you begin to see little things like this, like God adding to you. Does that ever happen to anybody here where you have more money than you thought you had? Other things, yeah. Yeah, um, when I was down my luck, I didn't have a car, and I mm -hmm. needed a car to get a job. All of a sudden, an IRA popped up that I didn't even know about. Oh, it was like $2,000. Yeah. Yeah, so I can get a car. But it's just like, every time you have bad luck, you it's like you're teaching you mm -hmm. to be civil or being whatever, to respect mm -hmm. others or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, something happens that your luck will change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where God's will comes in. And even like he knows you. You know, he knew what we all were, but he knew you'd come to him. Hey, man, I'm going to take care of him now because that's a child of mine that's on his way. So you see, when you see things with God's eyes, you see it correctly. Mm -hmm. You don't see it like other people. So it says his eyes preserve knowledge, okay? And, and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. So when, we, when his eyes are on us, man, God will always make sure that you're in the know. He'll never leave his people ignorant. The Bible says that. When you start looking up the things and the plans that the Illuminati has and all that they're doing, God will tell you what's in the water, what's in the food, what's all these things. Oh, did you hear about the dangers in cell phones? 
That's God's grace because he's trying not to let his people be ignorant to the time that they're walking into. Yep. All right, so let's move on. I want to go to Isaiah um, chapter 49. Isaiah 49, and then after that we'll get, uh, we have like two or three other scriptures and we're done. Let's go to Isaiah 49 first. And we'll look at verse 1. But it is, you know what's so amazing about the Lord is that when he opens your eyes, not only to sin, but in everything in life that's going on around us, because like you're saying, he doesn't want us to fall into those snares and into the dangers. Mm. And it's like, you'll even pick up on the fastest things that go through it, like a cell phone commercial. Mm. Like when they came out with mm. a certain kind of watches, I think Apple did, mm. and then they were going through saying, oh, you can do all this stuff with them and everything. And at the very end of the commercial, it was very quick. They scanned the watch underneath the scanner. But you had to know what mm -hmm. was going on. What they're trying to talk about yeah. with the mark of the beast and all that yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. Wait, but if you're not, if your eyes are not open to those things, you don't have to see it. You're not going to care. I don't think he sometimes shows you. I think he gives you a feeling. Because all my life I knew something was wrong mm -hmm. with his life. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, okay, the government's not right. You know, you, I've been to Egypt. I've been to Iraq. I saw stuff that just... What are we doing here? Right. I mean, and stuff. And so you see, you get a feeling. I think that feeling. Mm -hmm. I think he gives both at times. Because yeah, sometimes when the eyes can't see, you get that feeling. Yeah. And then you don't know why you even feel that way. Yeah. And then later on, you know, it's like, well, this is why. So, yeah. no, I agree. I think he does both. So this is Isaiah 49. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from afar. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother, um, hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. Uh, hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft, and his quiver hath uh, he hid me. So, you know, God is using Isaiah in this way when he's talking about dealing with Israel, that God has polished him, God has made him a sharp sword like his mouth, you know, piercing through, letting people know what they need to know. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and with work, I mean, my work uh, with my God. So he was saying everything that he did before, was pretty much in vain. But you see, when God makes a person up, you start to recognize what your purpose is for him. All right, so he says in verse five, and now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, uh, it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant and raise up the tribes of Jacob and um, to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer uh, of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom thou, who man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings, 
shall um, see and arise princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful in the Holy One of Israel and uh, he shall choose thee. So, you know, Israel is another example of not being right before God and God still loved them. He still chose them. He still said what he would do with them. Israel's still in a lot of trouble and the Lord is still working with them because he sees the potential. But even Isaiah is talking about, Lord, you chose me for this. You know, people are turning on me, but in your eyes, I'm not laboring in vain here. I'm seeing it as strength. Like sometimes when we're out there ministering and talking to people and people don't want to hear you, you get this feeling of like, you know, like, man, why am I even here? But then when you recognize you're not here for you, God's eyes are on you and watching what you're doing because God cares about these people. So he don't care one bit about your reputation, about how you're seen before people, about how stupid you might look out there. God wants you to preach his gospel and his word. You know, your conscience will heal. You know, your ego will heal. But God is concerned for people. So Isaiah recognizes, man, God is watching what I'm doing out here. That's why we can't be boastful and proud and, you know, acting like we got a lot of knowledge. We got to care for people. We got to let God work with us because we're not out there for ourselves. And you see how he said here that people hate God. It said, thus, this is verse 7, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, and to him whom man despiseth, uh, to him whom the nation abhorreth. So these people despise and hate God, but nevertheless we preach the gospel because he knows, we know his eyes are on us. Zechariah 4, Zechariah chapter 4, and let's look at verse 1. Zechariah is like just before Matthew. Like if you go to Matthew in the Bible and you go back maybe like two books, you're at Zechariah. Yeah, those minor prophets are real small. What was the verse? Uh, four. Zechariah 4. All right. You there? Almost. spot to find. I found Zechariah, but I only find three. Oh, really? No, that's Zephaniah. Yeah. Oh, Zephaniah, yeah. Zechariah is like two bucks down. Okay. All right. This is Zechariah 4. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, And an angel that talked with me came again and walked and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And he said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, the seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon of the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel, that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto him, Knowest not thou what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. 
Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by spirit, I mean, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So as you can see, uh, Zerubbabel was talking about building a temple. This is what the Lord is talking about. As Zerubbabel wanted to build this temple, he's making it clear, because this is a future prophecy, it won't be by your strength, it won't be by your power, but it'll be by the Spirit of God, which is what? Speaking of us. So this is a future prophecy of how we would be the temple of the living God. And then it says, Who art thou, O great mountains, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth uh, the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. So what we're also talking about with this great mountain and this, this headstone is speaking of the coming of Jesus Christ. And remember, the Bible makes clear in John chapter 1 and 14 that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Okay, so when that, when you got this candlestick with these seven heads on it, seven golden sticks, and then you got these two bowls, well, you got two olive trees next to it, but you got a bowl um, above the stem. What they're, what they're pretty much talking about, because we don't have a lot of time to get into it, these two olive trees would be like two witnesses that would pour oil, okay, unto the seven churches. That's pretty much what it is. And we're going to hear what he says about it. Verse 8, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? Uh, for they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. So you see, God's churches are supposed to be doing what God tells us to do. But, you know, a lot of people, a lot of churches, they're not witnesses for the Lord. They're not those shining lights that are supposed to be the light of the world where people would say, okay, that's the truth. Let me flock to it. So you see, even God's church or these seven spirits of God, which symbolize the Holy Ghost, you know, those are also the eyes of the Lord that, that help us through these things that we go through. Mm -hmm. And if you want to know what the seven spirits of God are, look at um, in your spare time, Isaiah chapter 11. It'll have the spirit of might, the spirit of counsel, the fear of the Lord, as we talked about today. It would have um, all these different um, ones that are in it. But matter of fact, I don't want to. You guys can stay where you are if you want. I'm going to go to Isaiah 11 because I just want to bring up the point concerning the seven spirits. And this is what was clipped from Samson's head because he was also a type of church. Yep. You remember, Samson has seven locks upon his head. Whoring after other women. Other so women. The Lord had to bring him down after his anointing was taken off. Just like the church. Church was blind like Samson, grinding at the mill. All right, so it says, and this is Isaiah 11 and 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch, that's a capital B, shall grow out of his roots. So we know that this is Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's one. The Spirit of wisdom, two. And understanding, three. The spirit of counsel, four, uh, and might, that's five. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
So as you can see, those are the seven spirits that God governs with, and those are the eyes of the Lord. And we talked about each one of them tonight, mm -hmm. you know? So this is something that God wants us to understand. So I'll just finish this. And it says, then answered I, uh, this is verse 11, then answered I and said unto him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches, which, which through the uh, two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these things be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord and of the whole earth. So, you know, um, they also talk about two witnesses later on. I believe these two are actually speaking of God's priestly, like his kingship, but also his um, well, king and priest. You know, if you look at it, Jesus came as king and priest. And what he did as king, he laid down the law. As priest, he kept that oil running to his people, making a great sacrifice that his church can benefit from. Because if Jesus didn't play king or priest, we wouldn't have his law and we definitely wouldn't have his spirit for growth. So you see, he makes sacrifice. We ought to walk in that way in God's kingly authority. Okay, not in our authority, but in God's authority, doing what he says to do and walking by it but also having that spirit and making sacrifices as priests. That's what we do when we pray for people, when we fast for people, when we go and preach the gospel to people in spite of our own lives. We are priests that are making sacrifices in this temple for the growth of other people. Okay, so that's what this is about. And I've heard different interpretations. I've heard, you know, they're different things, you know, Elijah and this and that, but... I'm sticking with what I'm giving. I'm not trying to give my own private interpretation. But if these candlesticks are the churches, then you know that these two witnesses have to be, you know, um, what, what Jesus represented. And that was king and priest. All right. So we're going to move on. We're almost done. I want to go to First uh, Peter chapter 3. And we're going to go to Revelation 3. And then we should be done. So First Peter chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 1. Now, this is all New Testament now because we spent a lot of time in the old. But you're going to see how it comes together. And the Holy Ghost warns us too, man. You know, the Holy Ghost lets you know that God is listening to what you just said. That dirty joke or whatever. It's almost like he stops you right in the middle of what you're doing. And it says, yeah, you know that's wrong, right? And you're like, yeah, excuse me, you know, whatever, but <laughs> he straightened you up. Especially the more in, in mature in Christ we get, that's when it's like, it's almost instantaneous mm -hmm. that he'll prick your conscience. Mm -hmm. Maybe even beforehand, because it's mm -hmm. like, he does not want us, especially with everything that he takes us from, it's like, why are you even entertain? Mm -hmm. Why are you even entertain that? That's you right. Know? Holy Ghost will tell you, you know Jesus is listening. <laughs> you know I'm going to tell them everything you said, right? Because we are one. <laughs> you know, this is First Peter 3. Let's look at verse 1. He says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. 
of whose adorning let it not be that that outward adorning or platter of hair uh, and the wearing of gold or of putting on uh, on putting on of apparel but let it be uh, the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God a great of great price so what we understand here is he's talking about wives, how they should be in subjection to their husbands. But we're going to see this take a turn because it says that the um, the wife should be, you know, has have a chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, does this mean like terrified? No. But you see, even when you look at the husband and wife, they, they symbolize Jesus Christ in the church. So just how the husband, the wife should be in subjection to her husband and should really be kind of afraid to disobey her husband because God is watching, you know? So even when a husband mistreats his wife, God is watching, you know, I'm looking at how you treat her. You know what my word says. So you know that this is wrong, but he's saying just how this woman should be, should have that fear. And then he says, whose adornings, let it not be outward adorning or plating of hair um, and of um, wearing of gold, but I mean, or of putting on of apparel, but he says, let it be hidden. So as we were talking about earlier, how people outwardly look, mm -hmm. how Iliad looked like the strong and, you know, the one that was uh, sh surely should have been picked. God says, I look at the heart. I'm not looking at the outward appearance. So he's saying a wife, instead of her just looking all adorned and beautiful and, you know, having all this other stuff, He's looking at that inward, that meek and quiet spirit, you know, that glorifies God because that woman is in subjection to the calling of God. That, that doesn't mean a weak woman. That doesn't mean a woman that can't voice her opinion or speak with wisdom. God loves that. He wants that from a woman. But that woman, you know, shouldn't be loud mouthed and just, you know, running mm -hmm. off. Whenever you say she's got two answers for you and, you know, she's in your face and she's this... No, man, God don't like that. Because you see, in many ways, that's how we can be before him, out of control. So God's got to put everything, in, and it says he loves it as a great price. Look at verse 5. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Notice how he said it was of old time, because we can say the same thing too. You rarely meet women like that today. Verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So that shouldn't strike us where we, man, we should call him Lord, you know, but that should, this is looked at as righteousness because Sarah knows who Abraham is in the Lord. Okay, that's her husband. God laid down the law and Abraham in turn loved Sarah. Okay, you know, and everything and protected her and provided for her and things like that. But she called him Lord, you know, so she had godly fear. Verse seven, likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So see, as a man treats his wife, you know, he should honor her as the weaker vessel. My dad used to tell me this. I have two sisters. We used to fight like cats and dogs, but my sister would go and hit me. I mean, hit me hard, bam. 
And then you, I go to my dad, she hit me. My dad is like, what, is it going to kill you? That's your sister. He's like, stop being such a punk. You know, whatever. You know, man up. That's your sister. You know, it's not going to kill you. But what he was saying is honor them as the weaker vessel. Sometimes you can argue. I don't believe in anybody putting their hands on anyone. But I'm just saying that sometimes you may have a wife or girlfriend or whatever. She'll get upset with you. She might even hit you because that's the best she can do. All right. And I'm not trying to be funny. I don't mean in a violent relationship. But, you know, a woman, you know, you do, and she leaves. But that's really the end of it, you know. But if you're a man, you hit me, and you jump on him and tackle him, you're really not proving anything because you were stronger to begin with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So in some ways, that's a sign of weakness that you've got to lose it and want to knock her block off when really she's emotional, she's upset. And I learned most cases with women, they'll be upset. When they calm down, they'll come back and talk to you normal. You know, but we got to understand this, that God made us a particular way. And as you know, God is watching all of this, okay? So a man's prayers won't be hindered if he honors his wife as the weaker vessel. Just how your kids don't, you know, do everything to you. Your kid will get mad, say little things, and you yeah, go on. But it's not affecting you in a way where you feel threatened that you now have to do something to the kid. Well, you got to be a man about it. Sometimes you got to take it because that's part of your, you're a husband. That's, that's part right. Of your job. That's right. I mean, if she's so upset at you to mm -hmm. hit you, you did something wrong. You know, in many ways, yeah. <laughs> right, you know, so, totally. And you would want to get to the bottom of that. But yeah. if you're trying to, like, lay wow. her out, man, that's a coward. Yes, yeah. I agree with you. Know? you. <laughs> so verse 8. So it says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Now, I don't, that doesn't mean be pitiful, you know, full of pity and be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. So you see, as we said, God looks at the big picture with his eyes. He's saying us to do the right thing, forgive, don't render evil for evil. Learn to turn away from that because that's God-like, okay? The way we handle it are like brute beast. We want to get revenge. Verse, exactly, verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no God, like no, um, you know, deception or mischief. Verse 11. Let him askew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? So as you can see, no one's going to really, you know, look at verse 14. But, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So you see, God wants us to have the right perspective to see it the way he does. But you can't fake this. You've got to have this happen to you in God. If you try and do this, man, you're going to end up in jail. You're going to let somebody hit you and you're going to end up fighting back and 
cops going to come along and haul you both off. This has to happen to you. You got to really have a relationship with the Lord to where you recognize he's watching everything I do. Now, I know this person just spat in my face, and I know what I feel like doing, but I know that God told me these things would happen. And how you handle that situation will determine how God sees things with you. I'm not saying we're going to always be perfect, but if we did do wrong, you know what, Lord, forgive me. That just felt like it was too much at the time. But next time, it won't be too much. You know, I'm learning to even feel good about the insults that we get out there and the things that people say because we know they don't understand. But you got to let rejection rub off your back. If I care about what people say about me out there, then that means I'm worrying about me and not Jesus. Right. And why am I even preaching the gospel anyway if I'm concerned for me and not them? So we learn not to take it personal and recognize, you know what? God is good. You know, whatever it is, Lord, please let this person get saved. Lord, forgive them for what they said. Because we all needed that grace at one point, and we still do. Okay, so if we don't extend grace to our neighbor, then how can God give grace unto you? And this thing has got to be totally absent of you, recognizing what his will and his desires are, and, and dealing with what he wants us to. Revelation 3, and I'm done. That's like two books over, or three. Like, you know, I got cursed out, <laughs> you know, this past Tuesday. But you know what? It's just I recognize the eyes of the Lord are there. And we've got to learn to yield to him. All right. So this is uh, Revelation 3. We're going to look at verse 14. Revelation 3 and 14. This is God's plan for his people. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen and faith, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's Jesus. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So as you can see, God wants us to be on one side or the other. God hates lukewarm worse than cold. That's something to think about. God says, hey, if you want to be a sinner, just be a sinner then so I can just count you among the sinners. But don't keep jumping back and forth with me and going with them, with me and going with them. God said that's more sickening than being cold or hot. Because at least a cold person like you talked about tonight is honest. Hey, man, I'm a sinner. And that's just the way I live. They're being true to themselves. That still won't excuse them from hell, but they're being true to themselves. But a lukewarm person ain't got the guts to say to the sinner what they need to do and be right. And they don't have the guts to serve the Lord. So it's almost like in some ways lukewarm is like useless. Like, why are you even here? You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't even believe in God. You don't even believe in this. Why are you here? You're not benefiting anybody. All you're doing is bringing confusion. It's the heart. You're absolutely right. So, yeah. And I want to give an example on that. I know you don't care for coffee, but... Coffee in and of itself only tastes good if it's extremely hot or if it's cold. When it's lukewarm, it is that's gross. nasty. You will want to spit it out of your mouth. It's what... just an example of that. It's, mm -hmm. just, it's the same way and how God looks at us. Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. I think society looks at it. I mean, I mean, I'd rather you be honest with me than, okay, one minute you're 
this way one minute that way. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're that way, then all of you are fake. That's right. Because because you're just you're a liar. That's you're right. A coward. You can't stand for something. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, and, and that's just the way it is. A little whatever in there, and that's why Jesus said, "The ruler of this world comes. He's got nothing in me." Because Jesus was true blue. You know, he was the real thing. He is the real thing. But it's like, you know, this takes time for us to get to. But, man, if you, if you, it's one thing. I want to say this. If you've got a sincere heart and you want to serve the Lord and you've got faults, you've got sins, you've got issues, you can go to the Lord and pray for that and he'll work with you. That's a big difference than, than pretending to want to serve God. And then you're out with the other people being just like them. And then you're back with God. And then you're out with these people. See, you're not standing for anything. You're not even crying out to God to be different. You want to be accepted by whomever you're around. So, see, that's a two-faced person. You just can't, you can't settle for someone like that. One minute they're your friend. And I'm saying, yeah, Sarah, Daryl, you know, and Anna, you guys are, um, you know, my friends and everything. And I'll go over here. You know what I like about Sarah, Anna, and Daryl? They're just kind of, I don't know, something about their way. So you, you see what I'm saying? It's like you have no allegiance to either side. You're just a coward. You know, that's the bottom line. Jesus don't want that. Look at verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel thee to buy from me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that, oh, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And he says, to anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. This is the surest thing that the Holy Ghost does to beginning believers. And even as we continue in our walk, he's going to show you what is wrong with you so that you desire God. And that's why when people preach all this love gospel and they don't talk about sin, they don't talk about things that are wrong in the world, how do you expect that person to grow if you don't tell them what is wrong? You putting, you know, baby powder on doo-doo is not helping the diaper. It still stinks. But you've got to first make it known to people what is wrong. They'll, they'll heal. They'll be all right. But they first got to know what's going on. So these people think that they're rich and they're increased with goods and all that. He says, man, you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I realized knowing the Lord because I thought I was one of the most brilliant men of the century. Man, I realized I was dumber than a box of rocks. Things I didn't know. How can I even be intelligent but still do the stuff that I was doing? So it's like he makes it known to you where you are so you can need help. And that's why he says a broken and contrite spirit God won't despise. Hey, I'm showing you your need for me. You recognize you need me? Then come in and get filled. Come and get the real thing. Come and get the gold tried in the furnace of fire. Stop playing like you got something that you don't. That's what's so unfortunate with Christians today because we act like we got it. We're full of Christ, but there's no evidence in our lives that shows Jesus at all. So he's saying, man, stop playing and get on track with what you really need. He says, man, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve so that you see... As many as I love, I rebuke. So if God loves you, he's going to rebuke and correct you. Mm. And then it says, and chasten. That means spank your butt. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and uh, open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh 
will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down at the at my father in his throne, or with my father in his throne. So as Jesus was, we got to learn to be overcomers, man. I know people push the gospel way down. They say, man, that's all right. God loves you. You were raised in church. Are you okay? Hey, man, this is talking about being an overcomer. That's what this is about. And the only way we're going to be overcomers is if we recognize that God is watching everything that we do and we seek him with a pure heart and understanding. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So as he's warning the churches, unless we're not in the church, then we ain't got nothing to worry about. But if we call ourselves Christians and we call ourselves knowing God, then we better know that his eyes are on everything. And we ought to be his eyes when we are converted and doing what he says. So, you know, I just want to say to people concerning this, the eyes of the Lord are a serious thing. And we need to learn that he watches all and you'll never be able to be smarter than him. You'll never get by with him. Every little thing you do, he sees. So we may as well be up front with our lives and turn from the ways that we're living that we can serve him with a pure heart. Amen. Because, man, on Judgment Day, when you look at those eyes that are a flame of fire, man, you ain't going to have no excuses. You can say what your pastor did, what your mama did, what your dad did. All he's going to ask you is, what did you do for me? And I'm not going to allow you to tell me about anybody this is your judgment right now. Their time is coming, but I want to know what you did in your mortal body. That's frightening, man. That's terrifying. <laughs> so let's just play it straight. All right, let's go to Job 4 and verse 17. Uh, yeah, Job 4 and There's even a passage that you guys can look up. Um, I can't remember exactly where it is. I think it's um, in your spare time. This is Second uh, Chronicles 16, 1 through 13. But one of the kings, Asa, would not yield to the Lord. And he didn't allow the Lord's eyes to look on him. And he was sick. He trusted in the physicians and not the Lord. And he ended up dying. But you guys can look that up in your spare time. Cool. Amen. Job what? So, 4 and 17. Alright, good. Now this is verse 17. Shall a man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. Now that's talking about there is the angels that fell with Satan when mm -hmm. he fell out of the kingdom of heaven. But these are good questions that need to be asked here because you got a lot of people out there today thinking that they're more than God and it's it's not true. And like we were talking about earlier tonight before study, what you said was that, you know, I believe that God convicts us the whole time and he, mm -hmm. he wants us to know or he tells us the whole time, hey, mm -hmm. you're in error and you need to get it right. Mm -hmm. And he does do that. He does that our entire life. But whether we choose to do it or not, that's up to us. Mm -hmm. He will correct us. That's right. Verse 19. How much less is then, how much less in them that dwell in the house of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth? They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish for ever without any regarding it. 
doth not their excellency which is in them go away they die even without wisdom so what's this saying here this is talking about us talking about people mm -hmm. that we are those clay vessels that you know what we're born and and the the moment that we're born even in in the womb mm -hmm. we're not guaranteed life now if we day before if we die before the age of accountability before we know what right and wrong actually is you know we'll be in heaven but mm -hmm. once we know the truth that's when the time really starts ticking mm -hmm. on our life and if we know the truth mm -hmm. so it's saying here is that we can't put our stock in any one person because everything that we know has got to be backed up by scriptures mm -hmm. and what everything that we're talking about tonight and I talked to someone before about this is that the church is not a building the church is in us so Jesus Christ put that church in us that so we can know the truth in him but we got to know that truth according to the Word of God and not what someone else says. You know, get off of what someone else says and look it up. Does it match with Scripture? Mm -hmm. Because we can deceive one another. And we can be deceived. The Bible actually talks about that. So it's like we got to know what God tells us so that way we don't go this way, we don't go that way. Mm -hmm. We stay middle of the road and mm -hmm. know that we can have salvation in Him. That's right. Amen. Yeah. I guess we can pray out. Anybody want to pray? Okay. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you this day in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord God, I just want to thank you for this day. Lord God, I just want to thank you for everything. I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for being a faithful father. Yes, Lord. For not treating us as our sins deserves. And Lord God, for changing our lives if we are willing to be changed. It is a choice that we make, Lord Jesus Christ, because you come to us from a very young age and you plead with us, don't go this way, don't do that, it's wrong, it'll hurt you, it will kill you, don't abort that baby, don't take this, or don't drink that alcohol, don't smoke the cigarettes. So you're constantly pleading with, in, pleading with us in our lives every day, Lord Jesus Christ, to come to know you. Yes, Lord. And I'm praying, Lord God, that we will see as you see. That we will not judge others, Lord, unless it is righteous judgment. Because we have to look at ourselves, Lord God, first and foremost. We have to see the darkness, the blackness that has plagued our lives from years ago. And to understand, Lord Jesus Christ, that how you just want to set us free. And how you just want to set your people free so that, Lord God, we can be made over into the image of what you truly created us to be. And yes, get that Lord. Holy Spirit, get your Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord God, that we just serve you. And that we can tell others about you because we live in a corrupt world. People that have gone astray, Lord Jesus Christ, that may have started out strong with you, but because they did not have you in their lives continuously. It is a continuous process to keep that relationship with you. We don't get saved just one time and that's it. Nothing else happens. Lord God, we've got to be made over continuously. We are your vessels, Lord God. We have to be broken down and made over in you, Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. That we can go out with your boldness, Lord Jesus. And to tell others about you, the homeless person on the street, the gang member across the street, the prostitute, the pimp, whoever it is, Lord Jesus Christ. But we cannot be hypocrites. Yes, we cannot Lord. afford to live one way and then be another. And that is why we have to continuously have you in our thoughts, Lord God, that relationship with you. 
Yes, because, Lord, if we continue to strengthen our relationship with you, you will constantly talk to us. But that comes through prayer. That comes through fasting. That comes through sacrifice. That comes through giving up the world and the less thereof to fully understand what it is to be married to you, Lord Jesus Christ, to have everything in our lives that was hurting us before taken out. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I know what I was before you saved me. I was a beast. Without you, Lord God, that is exactly what every person is. I know what insecurities I had. And I know what plagued my life, Lord Jesus Christ. And you came and you worked in me, Lord God, and you continued to work in me to make me over into the virtuous woman that you created it to me to be. But it comes through humbleness, Lord. It comes in wanting you to search out our lives and take out the sin, Lord Jesus Christ, that's still there. Sin that we may not even know that plagues our minds, that plagues our bodies, Lord Jesus Christ. It It can be a cancer if it's not subdued and taken out of us, Lord God, but that only comes in giving our lives completely over to you, 100%, Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord God, that everyone that says that they're a believer of you, that's exactly what we will do. The process, the growth process, the maturing to be 100% for you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank Thank you, Jesus. Let your power be on display that today, Lord Jesus Christ, and in every day, people will want to come to know you. It's not us, Lord Jesus Christ. It's never about us. It's about you living in us, Lord God. That's what it's all about. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God Almighty, for all and everything that you have done. Continue to work in us. And if you find us fit vessels, I pray, Lord God, that we bear fruit for you and that we make disciples for you. Thank you, God Almighty. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name I pray. Amen. Amen.